The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. two-man power trip of wrestling i'm your host jp john pause with me today very special guest he's the owner of post wrestling he's a reporter he's a podcaster he's a journalist he's a documentary filmmaker i mean he's done it all he's mr john pollock john welcome to two-man john. power trip how you doing yeah hey it's great to be here on the show thanks a lot for uh, extending the invite and looking forward to chatting with you so what's going on in your world we were kind of just briefly saying it might be craziest year of wrestling but what's going on in your world I mean, it's um, I guess I guess it really depends on, on the day of uh, what what is happening. But yeah, this has been, I think, as we start to get to the end of the year, when we really sit down and just look at 2022 and where things were in January versus where they are by the end of the year, where we still have a, a couple of months still to spare. Like this is certainly up there. You know, I've been I, I've been covering this like full time for. 17 years now and i've got to say like this year is you know uh, among the busiest and and most noteworthy that i I would say in in terms of just one big story after the other like you have certain isolated periods where it might be you know one story here or there that's bigger but the accumulation this year it's it's really astounding that you know the news cycle goes by so quickly that you don't really digest how it's all been just happening one after the other Man, and that media scrum was crazy because everyone was talking about, wow, Triple H knocked it out of the park. You saw that that graphic, the PLE. It was the most watched PLE. I don't know if that's actually accurate or not, but they were saying most watched was Clash of the Castle, the best rated Clash. I mean, they were talking about Roman Reigns and Drew knocking it out of the park, 63,000 people that lasted one day in the news cycle because of the media scrum. Yeah, it really did. And I don't know if you're AEW, if you look at that as – um. You know that they are definitely like we're we're the dominant uh, subject, but not exactly um, the the greatest news that that is coming out of your pay per view because they really they overshadowed their own work that night on the pay per view, and I think many people would have assumed that by the end of that show at All Out that the big talking point going into Monday and into Dynamite was you know that we have MJF back on television, they're back at you know moderately full strength and you've got this big CM Punk MJF program that they pulled the trigger on and instead all of that was wiped away and it's AEW that's going through I I think one of their most uh, significant crises of their of their, their early developmental years at this point man it's just crazy to think like 
they're on top of the world. They get Danielson back. They get Omega back. They get Punk back. It's like, wow. I mean, those three, three of the best guys in the business, easily to me anyway. I mean, just unbelievable talent there. And then all of a sudden, Omega and Punk. And this thing. I mean, it just sucks because it's like, wow, home run. Now we're going into Grand Slam with our three big aces. Now you're not. Yeah, and there's, you know, there, there has to be a lot of frustration. That's probably putting it mildly among, yeah, wh- whether you are Tony Khan and looking at it that, you know, you were just ravaged by all of these injuries throughout your summer. You get through it, and it looks like all the pieces are slowly coming together, and now it's this whole other issue that you're dealing with. And, you know, for, for somebody like a Kenny Omega, who I'm sure was going stir-crazy over these months of being you know, this extended time away from the ring, healing up all of these injuries and you're back for a couple of weeks and now you're off television for a whole different set of circumstances that you had worked all year long towards this return. So it's, yeah, and now it's at a time where really this this locker room has to kind of pull together as they have lost, you know, uh, four of their biggest stars as they go into what's going to be a very competitive fall season. Man, crazy to think of all that stuff. Have you heard anything on the latest on, like, as far as what's going on with the investigation? Obviously, I followed Dave Meltzer, too, and he was saying that the investigation is still ongoing with the suspensions. I talked to some people that were there, you know, backstage, and they they were saying that the the lawsuit word was being thrown around. Th- that night was being thrown around. So have you heard anything? I mean, not beyond, uh, you know, that the investigation is ongoing. And I think that that's going to be a several week process, at least until that there is some kind of uh, finality to it. And, you know, obviously it brings about the the question of, you know, the findings of the investigation and how uh, public they might make those findings. Uh, because t- to your point, like there's there's a very realistic option of of a legal situation coming out of this, whether it be from one party or multiple parties. And how you go about addressing punishment if if you're one side that feels completely vindicated in your actions that do not want to accept any any kind of punishment, believing you're not in in the wrong. Like it, th- this this could only be the tip of the iceberg. Like this could be a much more involved problem where y- you could come out of this, and it's not just simply you know trying to acquiesce one side over the other. It's like there may be some some very long lasting issues of dealing with a lot of big personalities and trying to bring some semblance of order back into into your locker room and and potentially people that don't come back to your locker room out of this. So all those guys were suspended, but they all kind of leaned towards the Omega Punk side that were suspended. Obviously, I mean, the, the Omega Buck side that were suspended. The Punk Steel side, nothing came out yet. Is that telling at all, or that's that means nothing? I, I think it's more so like like the Punk one, I feel it's like the, the injury almost almost renders it uh, a moot point. Like, I think he would have been, like, I, I kind of group, you know, Punk and, and Steel in all of this. Like, they are, they're off the road. They are out until this investigation is done and then you come out with whatever you feel is a is a is a just uh punishment for all of this and it would seem that it's just everybody involved has just been taken out of the taken out of the locker room for the time being including the producers that were in in the midst of all of this it just seems like anyone that had any involvement in this we're just removing everybody from this and we will let this investigation play itself out and however long that that takes i mean that's like you're you're it, it it's got to be very difficult you have to imagine that you're coming out of this pay-per-view and 
you've probably got your key programs in mind of where you're building towards full gear. And you would think those four are all in very, very prominent positions. I mean, we saw the punk MJF direction and step one of that at the pay-per-view and all of these plans get blown up. Like you don't know when people will be back. You pretty much have to go under the operation that they're, they're gone indefinitely and you can't be, you know, putting that as even a maybe at this point, you've got to develop this pay-per-view cycle and do it with the knowledge that these talents are not going to be in, in play. I'm thinking long-term too, to me, I know people, some people hate the term dream match, but to me, the ultimate AEW dream match was CM Punk versus Kenny Omega. And even if it's eight months from now, I still think you could fire that baby up. And that's a huge pay-per-view could do some of the best numbers because I mean, Kenny Omega was like the, the try true AEW guy. Now the new AEW guy, Punk, I mean, to me, that's like the destined dream match for a big pay-per-view. But if you're Tony, like, I don't even know if you can ever get that match to happen. Will they ever be in the same room together? Will they ever work? You know what I mean? Like, to me, it was like, oh, that was right there. And now we don't know if it'll ever happen. Yeah, I, I would have to say, like, my feeling coming out of the weekend was it would be, to me, I, I can never say, like, put the percentage at, at zero of getting all of these parties under the same roof again. Like, my feeling was your absolute best case scenario is – they agree to come back and they're on islands. They do not cross with one another. It's professional wrestling though. And if cooler heads can prevail, that's obviously a silver lining is that you can you can make money with this down the down the road. The question would be have have we have we broken that 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 uh period where you can bring some of this into into a business sort of laneway where you can you can make money off of it. I think it would be very tricky and with with the punk injury, I mean it just it puts him just out of the picture for so many months regardless. But you're right, like, Punk and Kenny Omega, like, that was one of many big matches that they didn't get a chance uh, to get to. And there was just a slew of them for Omega upon this comeback um, that he's been out all year that you could you could just line them up from the Will Ospreay match to Punk to another match with, with Danielson. Like, there there were all these matches lined up, and all of this is on pause. So it's, it's, it's a... Got to be, I, I think frustration would be the uh, the overarching theme if you're if you're, if you're Tony Khan at the moment. Do we make anything at all the fact that Omega's in Japan right now? That means nothing. I mean, I I, I don't think you can read much, much into it beyond the fact that you know he has a contract with with AEW. So I mean that that kind of to me is is going to end any any idea of him like leaving the company or anything like that. But for for him, I, I think of all of them. Like he's he's a very interesting one to try and get into the head of. Like I think CM Punk pretty much laid his cards out at the press conference. I think you you sense like what his frustrations are, where where his head is at. I mean the the young bucks obviously like they are kind of caught in in the middle of of all this as well. And with Kenny Omega, it's like here's a guy that has like just come back, and you have to imagine like this has been a very frustrating year for him, and then he's back and. All of a sudden, it's like you're you're on the sidelines, and there's no return date. It's just you're going into the corner with everybody else, and you, it it's it's got to be like another one of like how how are they going to respond to this, and what their what their attitude towards Tony Khan is in all of this. Like it's it, to me, it's not as simple as just Tony Khan has to pick a side and and go with them, and boom, we're going to snap our fingers, and everything's going to be back to normal. Like there could be a lot of residual ill will coming out of this from both sides that you have to try and make the most amount of people 
happy with this with this locker room environment, with your locker room of seeing these guys come back, and the fact that you know your your company is kind of just you know, this is a bad look to the public coming out of like, I'm sure there's many that just felt this was a real embarrassing week for the company that this, this spilled over in such a public fashion as it did. The only way they could kind of make up for it is if punk wrestles page and punk wrestles Omega and maybe punk and something with the bucks, but that's right. I mean, he eight months, nine months, he's out of injury and who knows if he's coming back. So that's the bad thing too. Like if he wasn't hurt, like, Oh, maybe, you know, coach fingers, they could work it out, do something, you know, get them all down to talk to other, but they can't for eight or nine months. Yeah. I think that the, you know, it, it was when you go back and you piece all of it together. I mean, certainly to me, it shouldn't have gotten to this point at all out when you have punk coming out and doing that impromptu challenge to hangman page. And then you're learning of the fact that this was him, you know, calling this audible that, that nobody was aware of like that just can't be happening on. Like if you are the executive producer of a show and this guy is going out there and calling out one of your top baby faces and you have no idea you are, have no control over your live broadcast that this is happening. And like, to me, that was the, the point that, okay, everybody has to sit down and we have to figure this out because this is now, we're now doing this publicly. This is not staying in the locker room. This is not staying privately. This is now playing itself out on our television. And instead, it just continued to boil over. And then you have this press conference that it's going to be very difficult, I think, because Punk was just so adamant. And when you listen to his tone and his description of, like it was just such a lack of respect that he obviously has for for this group of people and and how many of the members of the AW locker room uh, feel about that. Like it was it was a real public um, denunciation of a lot of what made AEW this this kind of you know fan supported promotion and how and the building blocks three of the key ones being Kenny Omega and and the Young Bucks and you know put in Hangman Page as well there. Like it was a real denunciation of that. And I, I think it'll be very difficult for Punk to just um, either walk that one back or for him to be, you know, given a pass eight months down the road. Like it's to me something that it would it is going to take a lot of sort of mediation and whether that's a Tony Khan or somebody else. But it is your biggest star. Like if you're going to go to the ends of the earth to make um, whatever you can uh, salvageable, like that's the person you're kind of going to to those ends for. Yeah, and he's a million-dollar gate guy a few times. I mean, he's the reason. I know, I think Dave and a few other people were saying, oh, well, Paige was the main event. Punk was on the card. Like, he's in the, the dog collar match against MJF. That's why that card drew, you know, what it drew. Not really because Adam Page was in the main event. I mean, and then all the numbers and stuff would, would support it. I mean, Punk sold 150,000 T-shirts in a week. I mean, obviously, you know, he's the, he's the guy. He's the draw. It didn't even matter that Page was champion. So, to me, it's like you got to almost, like, acquiesce a little bit to him if you wanted to come back because he was your big draw. But then he's also being like the shit stirrer and, and you know, the one that's like when you're literally sitting next to him and he's bad mouthing everybody in the company. So I know it's like a, I don't even know which way to go with it. You know what I mean? You're like juggling act. It's really interesting because you're, you, you like you hit the nail on the head. Like you can look at like the, like the floor for their pay-per-view business post CM Punk and pre CM Punk. Like he, he has risen it to, yep. you know, a very sizable level and that, and that's that's professional wrestling that is television that is sports that there is going to be a 
there's going to be more leeway for your stars. This is not a fair industry that this person is getting away with more than that guy did. This is, it's different rules. And because of someone that represents that revenue, yeah, you are going to go a bit further. It's actually just, um, uh, I know it's a, it's an older book now, but reading the, uh, the ESPN book that uh, James Andrew Miller put out and there's, you know, a, an interview in there with, with Bill Simmons and he's he's still with ESPN at the time when this is conducted and he was you know talking you know it, it was just interesting to read because here he is at ESPN and he is not being uh, shy at all about you know his his problems with ESPN as he's speaking as an employee at the time and one of his things was the leeway he felt he was deserved of as as a columnist at ESPN.com that, listen, I bring all of this attention. I should be given leeway. I should be given special treatment. And that's, you know, that is as a manager, what Tony Khan has to balance is somebody that has, you know, called his bluff essentially in this press conference and punk. What didn't get as much attention is the fact that punk felt confident enough to do that at a press conference, at an AEW public event with his boss sitting to his immediate left. He had no kind of hesitation about himself to label the EVPs as he did to, you know, run down aspects of, you know, I work with children. It was like that tells you something about his his belief that he can do this and feels justified and can do this on on an AEW event to the media like right in front of them as well like that's that's pretty brazen in and of itself of the the environment that he exists in that he believes that he like maybe he was going in and it's just I'm going in guns blazing and uh whatever consequences come my way there's also the part that he might have gone in and said I am going to go this direction and I I don't even think I'm like I am above repercussions. I don't know if you're a big football fan, and I know Canada may be different, but LT, I'm a huge Giants fan in the NFL. Uh-huh. So LT kind of had like his own rules. Like he would show up late, and Belichick's like, uh, to Bill Parcells, like he, LT's showing up late. And he goes, Well, stop, start. Uh, you got to stop starting practice so early. Like me, meaning that like right. Belichick, settle it down. It's okay that he's late. So like the stars, obviously there's different rules. Like LT kind of showed up when he won. He's the best player in the league. He can kind of, you know, he's probably the second or third greatest NFL player of all time. I mean, the guy can kind of play by his own rules. So when punk is kind of breaking rules or not really breaking rules, but breaking uh, box office records for them, t-shirt sales, all this other stuff. It's almost like he plays by different rules, but still to do that in front of your boss as he's sitting there. And if you, if you I saw a certain angle of it, it was pretty funny. Like his facial expressions were just like, Oh, Oh, like he was like he like he wasn't happy. He wasn't laughing. You know what I mean? He was like, oh no, like he was definitely deflated. Yeah, and I mean, you look at it from Punk's side as well because I I don't think this is something where, regardless of the outcome of the investigation, like there is going to be I I think like strong convictions on both sides of feeling justified. And if you're CM Punk and Listen, when we you go back to the initial hangman comment in the promo segment going into double or nothing, if Punk believed like that was offside and I feel like I've legitimately been falsely accused, he's a guy that I, I would imagine is going to be very, very, def- very defiant in terms of defending himself. Um, I looked at that as something where, okay, this is hangman page that is trying very much to 
speak to an AEW audience and convey a real sense of dislike between these two, that this is going above and beyond just a pro wrestling program for a pay-per-view this weekend, that these two, he's he's touching a subject that is believed by the audience to be off limits and create that. Now, was that overstepping things? It might have been. But this is also a company that has hung its hat on unscripted promos going into these territories. But we're also seeing like the the negative side of that when a line might cut a little too close close to home and the recipient is responding not as a performer on a show, but rather a, a, a co-worker that feels like they've been double-crossed on live television. So it's it's one of the fascinating dynamics of professional wrestling. But again, I, I look at this like there is it never should have gotten to this point and it seems like it just boiled and boiled and you could see it simmering and you're hearing of the the reporting and the problems that are existing and it kind of just went off to a degree i don't think anyone could have imagined in such public uh, fashion but also this was somewhat telegraphed like you you saw this sort of simmering to a boil man it just to think back at it, because I've listened to it a few times, like, man, like that was just explosive as hell. Like, he was, and he knew what he was going to say. Not that he, I don't think he rehearsed it, but people were saying, I don't think that, but he kind of knew where, what he was going to say and like who he was going to say it to. And obviously, Houseman, who was a, um, an improv guy with Cole Cabana. So, like, right. he knew that and he kind of knew to ask, go after him first. So, I mean, and he went after Brian Alvarez when he found out Alvarez was there at the end. So, it's like he kind of knew what he was going to say or what he wanted to say and who he wanted to say to. He wanted to get it out there. But I also heard, so he took Torres Peck in the match with Moxley. He was saying, I mean, who knows you know, you know, what was said when, but that the Bucks and Omega could have made the injury worse during the fight. So then that would be a legal issue for Tony if he got hurt in his ring and then his EVPs got him further injured. So it's like, holy shit, maybe he was just like fuming you know, at the media scrum that he was hurt. And then they exacerbated. Maybe he injured even further. But if he even says that he's injured even further from that, I think Tony could be in trouble. Yeah, it, it's an aspect that I, I've thought about too. Is that you know here's a guy that you know is you know we're, we're under the belief has a, a torn triceps, and then you know if if he's throwing a punch as you know no one has disputed like that he threw at least one punch if not more at Matt yep. Jackson, and if he in if he's doing that with the with the the injured side, I mean, he very well could have done more more damage in there. And then it comes down to, well, um, did Punk was Punk um, was Punk the aggressor, or was he feeling that he was acting in self defense? Like that, just because one threw the first punch, it does not necessarily make them the, the aggressor. And I think that's where the neutral parties in all this are really the keys to explain what they saw. And and then you have to arrive at a conclusion because it's going to be one where. I mean, if you just unilaterally announce that everyone here is suspended for X amount of months, you know, you're, you're going to have both sides, I think, that are going to be upset feeling like they they were wronged here. Whether you're Omega and the Bucks, who just got, you know, especially the Bucks, who just got publicly embarrassed by this individual in a very public setting and would be of you know, on their side if they're stating like, we just came to talk, we did not come here with any 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 ideas of, of getting physical and then you have punk who is stating listen i'm injured these three people show up at my locker room you know you and each side might believe like they are right and that it's just two different reads of a, of a situation everyone is going to be sympathetic to their own side and their own point of view that that led to this 
And it's just crazy to think like what's going to happen. People are saying Punk's going to get fired, but it seems like because he's injured, I don't know if he can get fired. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know and, how you and, fire an injured guy. And it also kind of, it does allow them some time to, like if they want to state that, okay, he's out for eight months and let's let's table this in eight months and you might have these guys that are, you know, by that point in time, like now might not be the time that a CM Punk is sitting down and, uh, man, I, I really shouldn't have done that press conference or being that reflective. But eight months from now, like maybe it is a, a better time to address this. And again, that's I, I think like there is going to be this this cloud hanging over the, this locker room um, if, if he comes back. But. I, I think like the injury, you, you know, you never are going to look at any kind of good news to come out of an injury. But if there's a silver lining, it does allow you so, some some time potentially before you have to make a, a major, major decision in terms of the trajectory of your company and whether or not you're going to retain who is the, the clear number one star since he has come in a year ago. What a fascinating like turn of events. Like we were talking about Roman Reigns and Drew and Gunther and Sheamus maybe having one of the best matches in a long time and and then all of a sudden the media scrum happened. So it was like yes, it's good news for AEW because everybody's talking about it, but then it's bad news because they can't make any money off of it because Punk alienated the EVPs, said they couldn't manage a target, and then he's injured. So it's almost like they couldn't capitalize it. And I almost feel like MJF should have won the title on Wednesday because then you almost not forget about Punk and the incident, but it's like, okay, now we just go forward Punk because the title's vacant and vacated. We're still thinking about Punk going into Grand Slam. So I know I would have gave MJF the title almost right away. I don't know how you go about it or he cashes in the chip, he beats Moxley or whatever he does. But I almost thought that that was a great starting point of like, let's forget about Punk for eight months. Yeah, and I was actually at the Dynamite last week in, in Buffalo and it was definitely like an interesting atmosphere just to be in the building and it really did feel like just watching the show of here is here is a locker room that they very much want to just move forward and try their best to change the conversation. And and I say I, I think there were there were certain aspects of that that they were successful in. Um, th there were others like this was an audience that you know Tony Khan shows up on the video screen and it's booze immediately and that's yep. That, that's very telling um, that that audience and what the source of that is, if they blame Tony for all this, if if they're looking at it, hey, I bought a ticket. I wanted to see CM Punk. I wanted to see the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega. They're not here. And this this guy's the owner of the company that is preventing me from seeing four of my favorites, um, whatever that is like that was a negative reaction for Tony Khan and. I think that's the mandate of AEW is tr try your best to change the conversation and go out there. And I mean, it's it's one thing that AEW has an incredible amount of depth that there are different options that you can go in. You can go the MJF route, um, but it's it, it, it's it's going to be a cloud over over this company. Certainly, like it's it's the biggest story in wrestling at the moment, and. And there will be like it will die down at a certain point, but as long as they're off television, like it's it's going to be this sort of um, the elephant in the room in AEW. Does Mega Parrick have anything to do with anything? Her obviously she was backstage. She at one point was seen with CM Punk's dog Larry. Does she play any sort of role in this? Because she's Shad Khan's kind of like number two. I mean, does she? you know, have any information? Is she going to go back to Shad with some of the stuff about Tony? I mean, what role does she play in all this? 
Well, I mean, she's, you know, reportedly one of the neutral parties that, you know, saw all if if not most of this. So I, I think she plays a big role in, in all of this. Like when you look at it, like of those neutral parties, if you're looking at wrestlers or producers, um, you know, someone of her stature, I think is going to carry the most weight. Like what she says, I think they're going to put as much stock into her firsthand account of, of all of this uh, be, beyond anyone else. So I, I would say, and, and she may have like a very, you know, strong opinion of, of what, what happened and what course of action should, should be taken here. Like you're talking about your, your head of legal that is going to be looking at this from a lot of different angles than say a wrestler who observed this is going to be. So I would say very much. She, she carries a lot of weight in this, in this whole you know, investigation process. To me, like as far as firings are concerned, I I would like say there's no way that could happen. I mean, this is wrestling. We've heard about backstage fights. I mean, Brett and, and Shawn Michaels, Steiner and DDP almost killed a guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we've heard of like this stuff before, and they all they ended up working with each other. Steiner and DDP did, and and Brett and uh, Michaels worked together, and Edge and Matt Hardy worked together. So to me, if if they can make it happen, somehow do that. But to me, I, I like firings. I think that's too much that's i think that's too far but i keep hearing that it's crazy it keeps popping up yeah it's you know it's one like this this is certainly not unprecedented in in professional wrestling that things have escalated to this level i guess it just gets to such a point of you know if if either side it's like is this far enough that either side is trying to play the the ultimatum game at at this part like it's it's us or it's them it's you know one side or the other you would you would hope like if if you look at CM Punk here of does this guy want to leave this company i mean maybe he does but i i believe overall i think he's really enjoyed his time here over this last year it's definitely come with with obvious frustrations that he made very public and you know there there are going to be people that have you know it's it's not black and white. I don't think this is a case where it's just uh, the these were the good guys, these were the bad guys. Like I think you're going to have defenders of both sides, which make it um, you know tr- tricky when you are very much trying to preach like a cohesion in your locker room. There's going to be probably some that would welcome Punk in tomorrow back into the locker room. There were others that would watch that press conference and maybe have the complete opposite. That's where it comes down to someone being able to to mediate and to manage these personalities. And I think it's been mismanaged so far. So have you gone to such a part where, what, what will this do to your locker room? And if it's if it's a negative force on your locker room, is that overridden by business? That listen, okay, not everyone's gonna get along here. This is a big company and there's gonna be problems, but we're here to make money. And it does, it does our company no good to sever ties with CM Punk. And it does our company no good to distance ourselves from Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and people that will be attached to them. So this it's, you know, Tony Khan has had to navigate like, like the COVID crisis. Like there, there have been big things that he has had to deal with. Um, but th- this is a pretty serious one when it comes to, you know, his abilities to deal with, a, with a lot of big personalities, big egos, and they're competing for top spots and to try and rectify this to the best ability that he can. And, and it might not be possible. It might not be possible, like to even eight months from now, to just sit everyone down and they all agree to shake hands and maybe they have personal differences, but they'll work together. It might be scorched earth. Like that's that's where it's it's going to take somebody that can ultimately rectify this because it's it does not do the company any 
any service to to lose any of these people. To me, everybody that's suspended, let's unsuspend them, get them back, and punks out for eight months. So, you know what I mean? Almost like deal with it then. Like, why are they suspended if he's not going to be there? So, I feel like unsuspend them. They got stripped of the titles. Bring them back. You know what I mean? I, I enough already. What would you if, if a CM Punk left? What would you see as his future in professional wrestling, if anything? To be honest, if he's pissed, I could definitely see him giving Triple H a call. And people would say, oh, that's shocked. Triple H, I mean, he it didn't get along with the Warrior, brought the Warrior back. He was the one that made the deal with Vince. Bruno San Martino, I mean, he seems like he's all business. I don't see why he wouldn't say, like, okay, punk, million-dollar gate, million-dollar gate, $150,000 in a week in T-shirt sales, or 150000 shirts sold. God knows what the number was. I got Alex Ryan or whatever from Pro Wrestling Teach how much money he made off those shirts. But, you know, it's, it's millions of dollars. Um, it, it's just crazy to think. Like I could definitely see Triple H going. Like we could do something here, WrestleMania main event. You know, throwing something, throw throw him in a bone to to do it. So I could see him going WWE in, in a heartbeat for sure if he's pissed. I could too. Yeah, and I like I wrote about this last week, and I think so, some people believe it's like it's just this bridge that would could never be crossed. And I, I think the opposite coming out of this that if n- number one, it would really solidify Paul Levesque having that that's because if this was Vince. Vince is making that call in a heartbeat. Yes. And yes. this would be Paul Levesque giving a very public statement that regardless of my feelings towards someone, if they mean something for business, I will do it. And for Punk, like, what is his incentive to come back? I, I think certainly you, it's obvious, like, headlining WrestleMania is something that was a very, was an unfulfilled goal of his um, to always have. Now, this injury would might uh, threaten, you know, uh, WrestleMania, but even, even down the line, I think that would still be enticing to him. And if he comes out of this with such a sour taste in his mouth towards AEW, this is a guy that has made a career off of a large chip on his shoulder that has pushed him into his, his next venture. And I think he would have a large chip on his shoulder to go to WWE and, and maybe get like a, a much more favorable schedule that, than before. Like I, I don't think it would be a case where he has to come in and he's got to be a, a full time player. He, I think, I, I definitely see that as you know. Look at the Roman if, schedule. Yeah, yeah. Like if it ever came to that, and they, and I'm sure Tony Khan is aware of that as as well. Like if it's not just I'm hurting my company, like I'm actively helping my competitor on top of it by you know putting this star out there, and I, I think that call is made for for sure. To me, Triple H, Paul Levesque, I think that he's business. I think he is like Vince in a certain way. Obviously, he learned a lot from Vince. But I heard an interview with Cody Rhodes, and he said the last guy when he came out to do his entrance to WrestleMania was Triple H. And everyone's like, oh, Triple H and Cody hate each other, blah, blah, blah. Triple H loved that stuff. Him breaking it. Like, just shows you Triple H is total business. He told him, kill it out there. Um, you know, I love what you did in AEW. Like, don't change anything. Like, Cody was very complimentary, and Triple H is very complimentary of Cody. So it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I thought they hate each other. He broke the the the, the crown and the and, and the throne and all sorts of stuff. I th- he likes that kind of stuff. So if Punk is saying bad things about him, I think he just he's like, okay, we can still do business. You know what I mean? I don't think he's that kind of guy where that would deter him from any sort of business. It's also like the like the sports equivalent that you'll see where, where a player is just a mess inside of a system. And no matter how many teams he goes to and he's a problem, there's always that head coach out there that has the belief I could get the best out of this guy. And I, I think you if you're Paul Levesque, like that, that's another win in your column of just if I could bring in this guy that here was their, their number one star that they were not able to keep happy and I can bring him back and 
I can get the most out of CM Punk at at this stage of his career. It's good for our business. There's, you know, several, several big, big matches that you you could do with a Punk. And I, I think that that only forces AEW side to want to keep this person in house. Like, I don't I don't think you want to come to that uh, conclusion that we have to uh, cut bait with this individual. So again, the injury, it does kind of put this this offer now where, you know, feelings may subside from, you know, this fever pitch that we're coming out of this press conference with versus, you know, next February or something where, okay, maybe cooler heads can prevail and we can put this behind us. You sit everybody down and maybe they won't work with each other. But even if you can keep Punk and the Elite all inside, they don't have to cross paths with one another, but we have them on our program. That that's a win. That's a huge win if you're AW and you can you can keep all of these parties um, with your company. Man, I just wish Punk and Omega can somehow like maybe just not even the Bucks, but Punk Omega, because I you know I could see dollar signs on that from a mile away. If if Punk Page drew, I mean Punk Omega would draw huge for them. But it's almost like with with Triple H and Punk, it's almost like when Belichick got Randy Moss. Moss had one of the best years of his career. When Phil Jackson got Ron Artest, I'm like, oh, this guy's beating up fans. You can't handle this guy. Wins a title with the Lakers. I mean, I mean, there's there's definitely coaches and you know guys that can handle some of that guy. And I know Triple H had his pass with Punk, but Triple H had a bad pass with Lesnar too. And they were able to make up and, and they're fine. And you know, he walked down on him, he came back. So I mean, anything, any bridge. And it's a different repaired. role now for, for Paul Levesque. Like he's yeah, not he can't just, wrestle anymore. Yeah. You know, he's not the understudy anymore. Like he is the guy and you know, it's it would it would certainly reflect well on him if, you know, you you exercise what I think pretty universally people would look at as a strength of Vince McMahon's when it came to who he would do business with, regardless of, of past feelings. It's just so much going on. I know post wrestling is probably uh, happy, though, with like the traffic it's getting from all this stuff, I'm sure. Well, it's really interesting because when we look at like some of our, our biggest um, jumps and, and this even predates uh, post wrestling when we were still doing uh, when waiting and I were doing live audio wrestling is. Oh, yeah. Love to that. to, to yeah. this day, um, when I ask people of when did you first find us? There's so many that have told us it was right after the the pipe bomb promo in 2011. Like there was something about that segment that it not only engaged fans to watch the the product at the time, but to go listen to find more information. And we found a lot of listeners just finding us through that. And then you fast forward to, you know, a decade later and his return at AEW. And that was just a giant weekend for us when it, when it came to like his return and all of the attention that that commanded and you can piece together like it's, and then you go to this press conference, like CM Punk throw in the, the cabana podcast. Like he has been a part of like some very significant events that have spurred on like all of this engagement from, from a fan base that um, you know, that he's been attached to so many of these kind of seminal moments over the last 12 years. I find it funny sometimes when people are like, oh, he's not a draw that Fox show, which was on like some horrible Fox uh, affiliate stage, whatever, FS1 or FS2, whatever the hell. Oh, the talk on. show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, it did, he didn't draw that well. Well, he drew num- good numbers for th- that crappy show. You know what I mean? Like, okay. But then you go back and you look, okay, he outsold John Cena in merchandise. I know Cena was kind of waning at that point, but that's pretty damn good. Then he was doing better house shows. 
I know yeah, Danielson on the show too, but his house shows were out during the A shows when Cena was on it. So even going back to 2011-ish, they're like, oh, well, he didn't really move the needle. I don't know. He was a star for them. He drew big numbers. And to me, he's a lightning rod. I, I've uh, Do you vote in the Observer Hall of Fame? I have in the past. I haven't in probably like two years or so, but I have in the past. Because I, I have not voted for, for Punk before, but I think more and more... I. I was so blown away by that that um, the, the United Center last year. The, oh, on a rumor, twenty one thousand people. I mean, that's crazy. Like that to me was it, it was it it was not only like a testament to CM Punk, but also like the faith that this audience had in AEW delivering. Like the belief that there was. I, I remember like so specifically like certain comments of, oh man, if CM Punk's music played and MJF came out. That would be so awesome. Like, that would be, like, the worst idea, I think, in the history of mankind. <laughs> in if, Chicago? <laughs> like, are you out of yeah. your mind? Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, it was, like, the fact that they did that. I mean, that, how many stars at their peak um, could, could do something like that, where it's, it was pretty much just a, a subtle line by by Darby Allen, along with the online reporting that, that, that existed. And that filled the United Center. Um, that to me is just that's a stunning achievement. And when when you put everything in totality of CM Punk, I, I think he makes a really compelling case uh, when it comes to Hall of Fame candidacy. He got to me, got to put him in there. I mean, all the great matches aside, I mean, he just like you said, there's so many points where you're like, wow, what a big draw! Wow, this United Center he puts it over the top for me because it was just a rumor. But it's like, wait, they can't run the United Center and not have like somebody big you know what i mean it's like there's got to be something so it's just this big rumor and you assume it and man what a reaction that was nuts that was a top five all-time pop too i mean that was nuts yeah i mean when you when you look at the influence too um when, when it's you know i i think like very much so that that transformation of nxt i think you, you look at like brian danielson and cm punk like there there was certainly a, a lot kind of in that mold that informed kind of the direction that NXT took itself in as well. When you look at, you know, some of the most significant moments in the past decade, uh, CM Punk's around a lot of them. To me, and I made this joke before, but if Tony Khan threw a curveball back when Danielson was feuding with Adam Page, and obviously Danielson, huge draw, let's be honest, main evented two WrestleManias. I mean, he's a pretty damn big star. If he's not bigger than Punk, he's up there with Punk, you know, very close and maybe slightly below just as far as name value and, and power and ratings and all the other stuff because, I mean, he's done a great job himself. But if he threw a curveball and gave Danielson the title then and beat Page, we'd never would have begun going through any of this. Just you know, throwing <laughs> that out there. Well, I mean, I mean, Danielson is one candidate to, that you you run with. Like, I know that you know they've kind of hinted at already going the Moxley MJF direction, but to, to me, like a Danielson run with that title, like that to me qualifies as like that will really invigorate your audience. And here is Danielson going on this great run with the title, winning it at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Um, I, I think that like that. That's not a bad option B to have in your back pocket to to go in, in that direction. And I think a Danielson-MJF program would be something that would be really, really fascinating as well to go to go in that route. I definitely think Danielson should win. Write that wrong. Write that mistake. Not that Adam Page, he was having good matches. He just wasn't a great champion as far as just, I don't know, he just didn't do it for a lot of the fans. So obviously... You got to put it on a bigger name, and we just had the Moxley run. So, do we really need another one? Plus, he did say he was supposed to go on vacation. So, I mean, let the guy go on vacation. 
Yeah, this poor guy. I mean, yeah, he, uh, you know, and, and, and like, just look at like the ripple effect that this has had. Like, here's a guy, yeah, cancels a, a vacation because, you know, they're, they're down and they need, they need to be at full strength or as, at least as what can closely approximate, uh, approximate uh, full strength. So, yeah, I, I think that that Moxley promo was fantastic on, on television last week. Like, I think it was as much for the locker room as it was for the audience uh, watching as well. To me, you have Samoa Joe and you have Claudio, too. So, I mean, it's not like you're running out of guys and big stars and big names. They just aren't using them. They're putting them in the ROH part. But if AEW needs a little influx, you have two former or one world champion in Claudio, but like former big-time world champion in Samoa Joe, you can kind of infuse if you really needed somebody outside of Danielson if, say, Moxley really is going on vacation or something. Yeah, I mean, again, it goes to like that depth that it's like, okay, this is not your your option A, but man, they've got, they can go pretty deep in the alphabet when it comes to options. That is one thing that they have really, when you take away some of those signings, like this, this summer could have been very catastrophic for them. And, and granted, like they, they were hurt going into forbidden door and then, you know, going into all out it's, you know, they, those are the realities of the situation. And now they're, they're still down uh, even without all the, the suspensions and such, like it's still um, injuries that, that you have to deal with. And of the talent you have available, it does give you like a lot of cards to play with. And that's, that is a positive as much as we look at how, how big this roster is. And sometimes it, a lot of the time, there's not that, that television time to go around to everybody. And that goes down to managing as well. Like you've got to keep these people um, in, in good spirits and keep that morale up. And sometimes it's, you know, you're, you'll be on TV one week and we don't see you for, for several afterwards. It's, it's a very difficult balancing act, but this is kind of the, the other side of having such a deep roster is that when you run into uh, a crisis, you do have a lot of, uh, a lot of padding that you can lean on to get you through these periods. Would you think about calling New Japan and saying, hey, I'll give you Danielson and Moxley for Wrestle Kingdom for a month or two or maybe for full gear? Can we borrow Okada and Will Ospreay and do something with those guys? Is that like an option, do you think? Or do you think that's something they could do? I don't I, I don't know if they would want to um, make uh, some kind of trade uh, of that level. Like, I, I don't think they're looking at, you know, Moxley and Danielson. I, I don't think that they would want them off television for anybody in, in exchange at, at this mm. point. But you do have this relationship that, listen, we're, we're in a pinch. We need something. And, you know, the, to see where the relationship has gone with New Japan to this point, I mean, it's, it's night and day from the beginnings of AEW. Uh, the thing is that you have two bookers in Ghetto and Tony Khan that notoriously have so much planned out in advance. And I would imagine, like, Ghetto as well. I mean, he's had to deal with this as a booker but someone that i would imagine he has most of wrestle kingdom booked by the, the this point as well but as and it's the good and the bad of long-term booking like it's something that we always kind of uh look towards at the same time when you're throwing a curveball and it doesn't just throw into question two weeks of plans but three months of plans that becomes pretty difficult in, in and of itself and we, we we've had to see kind of tony khan pivot over over the summer where you just crown a champion in Punk, and then you lose him, and then he gets the title back, and you lose him immediately. So, I mean, that's that's two instances where I'm I am sure he had weeks, if not months, of plans out the window with your world champion. Now, with 
that it's like okay there's so much question marks but then wb on the other hand they've got one great exclamation point in roman reigns 760 plus day title run whatever it is i mean it's almost like hogan-esque where it's like this guy should never lose you know what i mean like hogan during the 80s this guy should never lose a title we're you know we're killing it we're a billion dollar company now it's whether you think it's you know on him or not i mean he's the guy he's the face of the company um it's not obviously it's their business dealings it's nikon making the deals and and all the back back room stuff um, obviously with uh, saudi arabia making a shitload of money and um, usa and fox but you know he is the face of wb he is the guy yep do you have him lose the title anytime soon? Because people keep saying, oh, he should lose to Cody Rhodes. There should be two matches at Mania, Rock versus Roman, not for the title, and Cody versus somebody for the title. Would you have him lose? To me, no, right? I, I think until, like, at, at some point he has to. Like, there has to be, like, this does have to culminate with, with something. But um, to who? Yeah, I, I'm i more optimistic now that I, I feel like they have they have set some people up in play. I, th- I think that Cody is, Cody is in that realm. Like, you could yeah. go that direction. I guess the question is, that at this point, is what more you get out of Roman getting to three years, getting to three and a half years. It's like he has had this dominant run already. Um, and obviously, they, they feel that, you know, this, this is the story they want to tell. And I understood, like, the ending of clash at the castle it's like yeah that would have been an enormous reaction for drew but you're, you're not just booking for one night you're booking yeah. for you know whatever next year's sure. wrestlemania is and if that's your long-term story you stay with your your long-term story um i i'm i'm really high on on kevin owens at kind of getting a, a kind of renewed sense of purpose on the show he does he this last month or so has not felt like just the utility guy that we can throw into any segment and he'll hopefully make it work. Like he feels like he is now getting like a concerted run um, where he's among, if not the, the top talker in the, in the company. So I, I think that now is your time to sort of be grooming all of these, these opponents for Roman, because as long as this run goes, it becomes more and more difficult to kind of sell these matches because it's, it's trying to create that, that sense of doubt that, anyone can beat Roman at this time. And I think they kind of got there with Drew that you certainly had that audience believing that, that Drew could win. And, and now you have several months until you build up to what, what the next match is for him. But I, I will say I do like the titles being together. I like having just the one guy, the one champion. It feels like this title means more than it has in years. It's not where we have the two separate belts and, you could have theory just cash in and beat a guy and it's like sure you can put the title on anyone like there's nothing that really you're you're not necessarily you know harming your your rights fees or anything it gives you a lot of latitude to do whatever you what you want but in this case like this feels like this is a this is the number one guy that holds this championship and it it just makes it feel so much more important and it's and it, it's going to be a very difficult uh, following uh, following this this title run for whoever they they decide to go with. To me, you still have the big Lashley match out there, so it's like there's somebody. I mean, obviously, I don't think Lashley's going to win, but you could at least sell that for Survivor Series or Royal Rumble. I mean, that's huge because it's like this guy is same size you can kind of you know do the, the standoff they look great on the poster together as like all the old school wrestlers love to say look great on a poster brother you know what i mean like <laughs> that kind of thing like they could sell that obviously roman cody um randy orton if he if he comes back from injury i mean there's still some matches for seth for is roman. in the mix it's like yes yeah, seth rollins rematch yep so kevin you, owens of course theory so you, yeah there's a bunch of guys yeah you've got some options so organo maybe i'm not a huge underdog but he could still throw him out there as an underdog as you know role for sure d- 
of everybody in this whole thing. And again, it's like the just the butterfly effect of, you know, Vince McMahon gone and the 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 change of fortune for a Johnny Gargano of where he yep. goes. Like this guy that, you know, could have signed elsewhere. Instead, it's like he decided to take nine months off. And during that time, the most significant change of power occurs in WWE. And now all of a sudden, it's like you're on Raw. You're a pushed babyface in a role that there is not a prayer that this would have been uh, an option for Johnny Gargano because he wouldn't have left. He wouldn't have left if this was, you know, something uh, on the table. And now he's back. And it's like there's no way you could have predicted that if you are Johnny Gargano. And to me, it's just somebody that, you know, he's coming back. I'm sure he got a great deal to come back. And and now you look at him like he's going to be one of the he's going to be one of the key baby faces on Raw. And people are ripping on he's too small, but I think that's a good thing for a baby face. Like, he's always an underdog. So it's like Rey Mysterio. You're always kind of rooting, like, how could he win? Oh, he won. Oh, that's how he did. So it's it's a lot of psychology, but saying he's too small, it's kind of, I don't know. That's kind of just, I don't know, passe. It's like a Vince thing. Like, you know, he's 77 years old. Like, oh, this guy's too small. But he could be a good underdog. The crowd can get behind. They, you said about Danielson right, when he was Daniel Bryan, and he was the most over guy in the company. So, I don't know, give the guy a chance, I think. I don't think too small. I think that's the passe. Absolutely. And I, I was there the, um, the the week he came back here in Toronto, and I think, like, that was as much of an endorsement. Like, he could have come back in, in Cleveland, and you know he's getting a huge response. The fact that it was outside of his hometown and you had 14,000 people in Toronto that reacted to him as a big yeah, star. Yeah, who he was. Yeah. I, I think that did him a lot. Like, I, I think that quiets uh, any doubters or people that were maybe not following NXT that suddenly, wow, this guy is a star that is coming out here and this this giant crowd is reacting to him in, in such a way. Like, I, I think that got him off to as, as strong a start as you could ask for. And then the complete opposite side of the spectrum would be Cross, who's 6'5", 275 pounds. I mean, guy just like looks like he was built for pro wrestling or MMA. He's a monster. But even he could be a good uh, title contender for Roman. He's not going to win, but a guy that you'd be like, oh, shit, he could do some damage. And his package with Scarlet, I mean, it's awesome. I love the entrance. I love both of their looks. I think they're both great. But he's even a guy you throw in the mix that Vince, for some reason, I don't know, didn't like and put on that stupid uh, gladiator helmet. Yeah, like I, I just like when you can have all these different kind of contenders that are all gunning for your title, and it just it makes the title feel so much more prestigious when, when you have a strong title, like that's that's a great story right there. Is that everyone is gunning for this title, and maybe you're not the guy that's facing him in four weeks at the next pay per view, but it's like everyone is after this, and you can always be like you're you're just one program away from you know, lining up someone as your next challenger. And it's like the title is guiding all these different people. They can go off into their separate stories, but like their true North is this championship. And you're sort of seeing that established on both shows. And you got the opposite now where it's like, you have a champion that just is not as, as available, but you know, there, there's something to be said too, in, in making these Roman appearances feel more impactful when they do happen. And it's a guy that, yeah, he's not going to wrestle every week on television. You might not see him every week on television. You want to have a balancing act, but you know, it, it feels like an event now when he is going to defend that title. To me too. I mean, I, I love Roman, everything about him. He it just like screams, this guy's a top star, but it almost feels a little Hogan eighties, esque as well because 
everybody mentions him. Like Jake the Snake is mentioning him, Macho Man. Like everybody always mentions Hogan title, Hogan title. It seems like everybody is doing that for Roman too, which elevates it too. It's like Seth has got his problem with Riddle, but he's like, I haven't forgot about you. I want I want that yeah. title shot, Roman Reigns. So it's like uh, Cross mentioned him, Drew McIntyre mentioned him, Kevin Owens mentioned him, Theory mentioned him. It's like, I, I love that because then it's like, wow, that title, whenever he loses it to whoever, feels so damn important because eight guys just mentioned it in the course of the show. And when he shows up, it's like, okay, I got to watch. I got to pay attention to this guy. So, you know, something's going to go off. Yeah. I mean, Logan Paul is uh, talking about it now. So, you, you, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's the focus of everyone. But that's, it's a good thing. You're right. Because when, when you do have the person that finally gets that win, it's going to mean a ton for them. Like that will be a, a huge event when they finally do the, this title change. And, the goal is just maximizing that moment so you can create and make it as big as you possibly can. Like this is where, you know, covering as much mixed martial arts. And it's always one of the interesting comparison points is that, you know, in, in mixed martial arts, it's like, you can have your, your guy that is just designated. And it's like, man, if this guy can just win, he could be our big star. But it's like, once the fight starts, that's it. You have no more control over this. And yeah. in professional wrestling, like some people look at that as a negative. I think it's a huge positive that you can you can find your guy and listen to your audience, and then you can do all the work. Like you can you can control and wins and losses. They do matter to to your fan base as well. But you can if you're ahead of the curve of your audience, it's like you can guide them in that direction and control the outcomes and maximize that big moment. If it's a UFC event, you can build up the greatest grudge and it could be a terrible five round fight. That is just a total letdown. It's in professional wrestling. Like you have so much more control over, over the whole presentation and the promotion of it. Yeah. It just feels like, you know, with like UFC years ago, and I know this is when like Vince was supposedly, gonna be interested or get into UFC, Chuck Liddell. That was Shane McMahon's guy. Chuck Liddell, Chuck Liddell, Chuck Liddell. All of a sudden he finally watches Chuck after he wins eight fights in a row, whatever it was. I mean he was killing everybody. Destroyed Randy Couture, destroyed Tito, like embarrassed Tito Ortiz. I mean just destroying people. Then all of a sudden he gets, you know, knocked out by Rampage or he loses. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh crap, what happened to that guy? You're pumping up Vince is like, see that's why I hate UFC. Like you're pumping me up with this guy and he lost. Like that's what happens. Yeah, Vince McMahon would have been the worst MMA promoter because yes. he, he would have to give up the one thing that he never could, and that's control. It would yeah. be like you have no control over the outcomes of this. And, you know, there's there's the counter argument that that is what makes MMA so exciting that you can get a, a Leon Edwards knocking out Kamaru Usman in the final minute of a five-round fight, and it's just it's, it's remarkable to watch. Um, but that would be like Vince McMahon to me would just uh, MMA would be the worst avenue for him to to go down uh, w without having control of outcomes. Like, I just think that would be such a such a foreign experience for him. And like Nate Diaz, even Nick Diaz. I mean, you never know what they're going to do, what they're going to say, where they're going to go. I mean, you might see Nick Diaz two weeks before he's supposed to fight Conor McGregor, eating tacos, smoking weed, uh, surfing or whatever instead of training. And then he goes and, he, you know, he won that first fight. I think he won the second one, too. But, I mean, obviously you want to set up the trilogy, so Conor has to win. But I don't know if Vince would like uh, Nate Diaz too much either. No, he'd uh, he'd probably change their name because there could only be one Diaz. So yes, they, they yes. probably we we get a name change. <laughs> but they're then, brothers. I don't care. He's losing. He's losing the last name. Yeah. And then and then Nate would have to 
go deliver the most the most painfully scripted promos about the uh, the UFC universe. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know if the McMahons and the Diaz's would uh, would coexist too well under under one umbrella. And then uh, Nate Diaz would call <laughs> the guy Chung Lee and have his wrong name, but he he apologized. But you know he, he'll say call the guy the wrong name or something. He'll he'll screw it up for Vince. Yeah, there, there there's the press conference we want the uh, Vince McMahon with the Diaz brothers uh, to to build yeah. up the fight. It would be that would be quite the press conference, I think. Where is Nate going, by the way? Well, with Nate, I. I think a lot will hinge on this October 29th fight with Anderson Silva and Jake Paul. Like, I think certainly, you know, that it's going to be a very, very tough fight for, for Jake Paul. And I guess the question is, if is Jake Paul coming off a loss? Does that, does that damage the, this fight to such an extent? I think there's still going to be an appetite for the novelty of Nate Diaz going to boxing, fighting Jake Paul, and there will be such a spectacle around it that I don't know if Jake Paul having a loss coming out of this Anderson Silva fight will be crippling to that fight occurring. Um, so I, I I think that Nate Diaz is certainly looking at putting together some giant revenue generating fights and Jake Paul would represent that. I don't know how many of those options are going to exist for him in, in boxing in terms of big names that are that, that are within, you know, that are going to be positive outcomes for Nate Diaz. Like I, I think like Jake Paul is sort of what you're looking at. And that's where I think that he made the right play in not going out kind of scorched earth on UFC, because if you're looking beyond Jake Paul, like his biggest fight is Conor McGregor. Yeah. The trilogy. I, I don't think you're going to be able to put that together without the UFC's cooperation. And I think that's a way more intriguing MMA fight than it is them trying to go the boxing route or, or something like that. So I think for Nate, I think his goal is very much to establish this new fight promotion of his and become a co-promoter when it comes to this Jake Paul fight and then score as lucrative a deal as he can for another fight with Conor McGregor and work with the UFC instead of working for the UFC. That's a good one. That's a good point for sure. And he's, he'll definitely be a good promoter. I mean, it just, I don't know, the interest around him, it, it, no matter if he loses, you know, if he loses the mass without or what, you know, whatever happens, there's always interest around him. And with Anderson Silva, I know Jake Paul has beaten Tyron Woodley and he's beaten Ben Ashkin, but I mean, this is a completely different animal. I don't care if he's 47. This is a guy years ago used to train with pro boxers and the pro boxers are like, you're not a pro boxer. You're an MMA for like, why aren't you a pro boxer? You don't mean like this guy is one of the greatest strikers. Forget about MMA. I mean, he, he's a damn good boxer. He just beat the, uh, I know it was a technical close fight, but he may easily beat a pro boxer in his last fight. So, I mean, Andrew Silva is dangerous. This is going to be the the most difficult fighter that that Jake Paul has fought. Like th- this is this is a level above your Tyron Woodley's or Ben Askren's. So, yeah. I, I mean, in that sense, I think like you you did need um, a, a step up. Uh, I think for for Jake Paul, like I, I think like this experiment is kind of wearing thin. That I, I think it it kind of necessitated uh, an opponent that is going to be. Um, taken more seriously by the public, and I think Anderson Silva checks off that box and. Yeah, that then that'll be the question after is because Jake Paul and Nate Diaz would, would seem to be like t- to both individuals' best interest. Yep, definitely. How come we never got Anderson Silva versus GSP? I'm sure GSP is your boy, right? I mean, it was. I think that t- there was a time to make that fight, but I think that George, I, I think he was just always looking like the size was just something that that he it was it was going to require him to you know just have to to put on so much 
unless Anderson, you know, came down. And I think he, even then, I, I just think it was like the, the weight discrepancy was just such that here are guys that are separated by 15 pounds in their respective weight divisions. But it was, man, if you're going back to 2008, 2009, even several years after the fact, like that would have been a, that was the biggest fight that the UFC could have made. And you always got like these hints that, okay, now they're really going to go in this direction. But I, I, I just think the overall size of it, like here's Anderson that was like, moonlighting at 205 pounds like he was he was a big middleweight that was a competitive light heavyweight so with, with george you know he did the one uh fight going up to fight bisping at 185 and look at the damage he did to himself like physically after that like he got the colitis afterward and i think it was like piling on all that weight just to go up for one fight with bisping his body responded terribly to that and then he never fought again after it so I, I think it was it was mainly just like the size and realizing like that there there are weight classes for a reason and it was not going to be as advantageous of a fight for George in in that kind of a scenario. As we wind it down, we head towards the finish here. I feel like UFC dropped the ball. Uh, Anderson Silva, GSP could happen, and then or Fedor Lesnar. I mean, that was that was the big one. That was like, oh, it's definitely going to happen. And they teased us and they teased us, and then obviously that didn't happen either. No, and that was one that I mean. You know, Dana White had talked about like the the extent to, of which he went. You know that 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 was at a time when that was you know the the biggest heavyweight fight, uh, one of the biggest fights period that that you could have made. And the big thing was just Fedor's management. Like they they wanted to have like their they wanted a co promotion, and that was just the antithesis of what Dana White and the UFC were interested in. It's like man, we are. It's it's a big difference when you would look at what a a Brock Lesnar fight would do in the UFC versus what that fight would have done without the UFC's like promotional muscle with it. So it was just a fight that they could never put together, but always one like that was one George and Silva. I, I did not have a whole lot of optimism that that fight would happen, but to me, Lesnar and Fedor, it was especially when you saw like the fights that Fedor would have later, like that was certainly a big missed opportunity. And I mean, who knows what, whatever the, Whatever the the ceiling was on what a pay per view could generate, that one was up there of of what it could have generated at that time during the peak. Any possibility? This is crazy, but any possibility they revisit that for his retirement fight, Fedor? I think that Brock is done as as a fighter, and th this is going back to UFC 200. Um, that was an event I covered live, and going to that press conference afterwards. I, I have never seen a more happy individual than Brock Lesnar. Like that was, I think if all things were equal, he would have fought his entire career. I, I think he genuinely loved MMA. I think he loved the fact that he could train, he could build a gym on his property, he could bring in his partners, and then he only has to travel a couple times a year to do fights. I think he would have been so happy doing that and became just, a, you know, such a, such a huge revenue generator for the company. But I I think once once that fight happened with with Mark Hunt and then you had the, the drug tests that, that followed it afterwards, I, I think at that point Brock realized, you know, at, at his age at, at this point that 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 part of his career uh, was over with because, you know, the other side is, you know, Brock is not going to do a fight with Bellator for some bargain and doesn't make any financial sense for Bellator to spend what it would require when they don't really have a pay-per-view model and it would have been, I, I just don't think like the economics of it would, would have worked out that way. The, the time to make that fight was, you know, easily 10 years ago. Guess you're not getting that fight in Russia. 
like a, a, a Fedor retirement fight, that is. It was supposed to be in Russia. It was supposed to be last month, obviously, uh, you know, with all I've, what's going on with Ukraine. Are they going to do the retirement in Japan or something? I mean, where's the Fedor retirement fight? Who's he fighting? Is it Josh Bardet? I mean, where and who? Yeah, I mean, at, at this point, like, I'm, yeah, I, I'm kind of mixed on, on seeing Fedor do another fight at this point. <clears throat> but, yeah, Barnett is, Barnett's an option out there. Um, you know, Qu- Quinton, I think, is like thrown out that idea. Like, I think that's kind of the level of what you're looking at. Like, maybe, pure, maybe the pure nostalgia. Maybe Overeem. They they get Overeem. Yeah, to yeah. Over Overeem would be a name to, to to throw in that hat as well. Like, those would kind of be your candidates for one final fight. Like, I don't think you're going out of your way for just a you know, you know, a Timothy Johnson level heavyweight. I think you you want to get somebody that has some name value that's also kind of at a comparable skill level at this point with Fedor. Which I mean, Fedor is showing so, some flashes in in these fights. Like, I think you know you can get away with one more fight and. And if we're talking about, uh, you know, Quinton Jackson, for instance, Fedor would probably be favored in that fight at, at this point if you're talking like 2022 or into the next year. Oh, and he's knocked him out before, and, and yeah. Rampage couldn't even land a shot, so he definitely would be favored, yeah. Yeah. I wonder, though, if Ryan Bader would be in the mix, but that's what I heard from the Fedor camp, but I don't think so. I don't think you could rerun that match, given what happened, or that fight, given what happened the last time. I, I would think, honestly, and... You know, with Scott Coker promoting it, I, th- I think you also want to give Fedor like the best opportunity that this can go out in in a nice way. Where Bader, I just I think that's a bad fight for for Fedor. Yeah, yeah, got to do like Satoshi Ishii again or something. You know, <laughs> where, he's gonna, go. where he's gonna knock the guy out. Yeah, yeah. Zulu but at least Zeno. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the guy has a name in in, uh, in Japan. I saw a recent Zula Zeno fight. He had the guy in a key lock. And he was on top of the guy in mount, and the ref stood him up. And Zuluzino was so gassed, the guy punched him. He completely got knocked out. I was like, wow, that was the worst stand-up I've ever seen. First of all, I can't believe Zuluzino is still fighting, but that was the worst stand-up I've ever seen. Wow. Um, I did not see that fight. That's uh, that's quite the remarkable stand-up if you're, if you're talking about oh, it. Mounted with a submission. Yes. Horrible. Uh, that was always the, 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 the one that uh, John McCarthy has brought up. Like the one time he had to stand up someone in mount. It was the Kimbo Slice Dada 5000 fight. And it was just because it was pure exhaustion. And it was like, that was the one time that was like your, your one exception of uh, a justifiable stoppage during, uh, during a, a guy mounting the other, which was uh, an all time legendarily bad fight. And also probably a pretty um, irresponsible fight too. When you, when you look yes. back at the, at the history of that one. Yeah, the commission's got to be looked at for that. It was awful. I think Orlovsky, uh, Roy Nelson from years ago, I think that was a horrible stand-up, if the I remember Elite correctly. Fight? Yeah. yeah, when he had him in the mount. I mean, he wasn't like in terrible da- uh, danger, but he was in danger, especially Roy Nelson uh, on top of you. But that was a weird uh, stand-up. Yeah, that, that was the awkward one, too, where you had like the Elite XC fighter with... Because Arlovsky was technically under contract with Affliction at the time and then was loaned out to do that show. So you had the weird politics, too, of like the, the different promotions uh, representatives as well. Was that before he got knocked out by Fedor? Yeah, that was right before Fedor knocked him out, right? Yeah, because that one would have been the, the, the Nelson fight would have been October 08, if my memory serves. And then that led to the Fedor fight, I think, in January. And that was the that just brutal knockout that, I mean you will always associate with uh, with Andre Orlovsky, that, that oh. knockout. I mean, th- talk about just one of the fact that this guy came into the UFC in 2000, and here we are 22 years later, and still going. It's incredible. 
So just a couple of quick hitters for you. What was it like working with Bret Hart? You were doing the, obviously, many years ago, but you did the survival of the Hitman. What was it like working with Bret? I mean, that was something that just kind of grew out of an idea. This was when Bret had come back in 2010 on Raw. And the idea was just to do a quick feature for the television network we were working with at the time, the Fight Network. And it was just going to be like a quick kind of feature going into WrestleMania of sort of kind of taking wrestling with shadows and where did all the parties go afterwards and what has led to Bret Hart being back in WWE. And I just started reaching out and we were also lucky, like just being in Toronto, a lot of, you know, a lot of the key figures were in and around the city. You know, we were able to interview Carl DeMarco, uh, who is Bret's former manager and then was the head of WWF Canada. Gord Kirk, who was his lawyer that negotiated the contract with the WWF in 96. And, we start just reaching out to all of these people. And it was the Carl DeMarco interview that afterwards was like, have you talked to Brett? And I, I think I had like sent maybe, maybe some pitch to, to Brett about sitting down to do an interview. And Carl just called him up and we were able to line it up. It's like, if you can get to Calgary, Brett will do a sit down with you. And that's when this went from say a 10 minute feature to a full blown documentary. And so we went out to Calgary that opened the door to do all these other interviews in Calgary with, with, you know, various members of the family, other people that had covered him. And yeah, so we, we started this idea at the beginning of January. And then that documentary, it's like a 90 minute documentary that aired the Monday going into that year's WrestleMania. So it was like two and a half months to put together this 90 minute documentary. And it was a pretty, pretty intense period, but Brett himself was, he was very accommodating to us. Like we must, I must've interviewed him for about five hours that day. And it was sort of just, Hey, show up, we'll do an interview. And you know, I'm, I'm doing the interview. It's like, Brett can talk. So I'm going through this. And then in my head, I'm like, man, we're kind of just going through different parts of his career. And I'm up to like 1992. I've got to like quicken this up because we're not even at 97 yet. And so that, that kind of just, um, anyway, it, it turned out, you know, we, we couldn't have done a documentary unless Brett was actually in it. But, um, for someone that was extremely accommodating with it, with his time that day that kind of just said, yeah, come over and not necessarily knowing what he was getting into and sat down and pretty much recounted his life story to me. Awesome. I mean, that's just cool as hell just to be a part of that. Cause obviously Brett's one of the greatest. Yeah. So, it's, it's a documentary it's awesome. I'm, I'm super proud of. It's um, I think it's up on, on impacts uh, streaming service because they, 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 um, the Fight Network's parent company, Anthem, purchased them. So that's the connection there. I think that's where the documentary lives. It's called Survival of the Hitman. But it's, um, yeah, something we poured a lot of hours into in uh, 2010. And you did an Owen one too, right? We did, I, I did an audio documentary on Owen. That was a couple of years ago that, that I did. Um, yeah, and that, that was another one that it was, you know, we were, we were coming up on the 20-year anniversary of Owen's passing. And again, I just, I reached out to a lot of different people and then did these interviews and was able to just contact a lot of people, including, um, a fan that, you know, spent the day with, with Owen, just, you know, driving him to the ring or to the arena, to Kemper arena and was with him that day. Um, and just various uh, others that I was able to, I, I spoke with uh, Jimmy Corderas as well, who was, you know, was going to be the referee for the match with the Godfather and yeah, uh, put that together and that was in 2019 and that that one's available you can look up uh owen hart's last day on on youtube and it'll come up so what's next for post and yourself what's next for post wrestling well it's 
we're, we're kind of in a, in a period right now where we're kind of, um, you know, we, we had tried this experiment where we were doing a, a daily news show and that was, um, that was an extremely daunting project on, on our part where the, these turned into like pretty much doing shows every day. And we, we kind of uh, put a pause on that um, because my partner waiting, he uh, just went on paternity leave and is now back. So that kind of gave us, you know, a month off to uh, go from one area to the next. But uh, a lot of it, it's we're, we're kind of just looking at, you know, different different avenues of where we're getting our shows out there. I'm sure this is something that, you know, you, you explore on a daily basis, too. It's, you know, we, we've had a lot of success on Patreon um, that pretty much, you know, keeps the site running uh, 24 hours a day for us uh, and allows us to, to do this full time. And now we're just looking to expand into different areas. It's always the balance of, you know, putting out enough free content that still leaves people wanting to get the bonus content that we put out as well. So that's always a balancing act that, that we're going through. We've invested a lot in, in video that I, I think throughout the pandemic, everyone did. So that's that's still an initiative that that we're pushing a, a lot just through all, all of our different shows and such. And, you know, um, coming up with just kind of unique ways to present your shows when people have so many options out there and you're just trying to kind of carve out your own spot that that makes it uniquely yours. Now give us all the plugs where everybody can find you guys and post and everything else. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate it a lot. The, um, the website is postwrestling.com. We've got, you know, daily news up there uh, from myself Andrew Thompson and our whole network of shows is housed there. And then if you want to support us, our Patreon is postwrestlingcafe.com. We do a minimum of three bonus shows every week, uh, including after SmackDown every Friday night, we do a live call-in show and we're live pretty much after every pay-per-view, after every raw, every dynamite at youtube.com slash postwrestling. So thanks a lot for um, uh, inviting me on. It was uh, really great to chat with you. I, I enjoyed this quite a lot. Thank you very much. Finally being able to get you on. So it's great stuff, but I appreciate it all the time. Thank you so much. Thanks. I'm a big fan of your work. So it was uh, great to get. Uh, to oh, wow. Thank you. And, and appreciate that. So, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You could check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. <laughs>